morning. Well, we've paused in our series, very near the end of our series in the Gospel according to Matthew, so that we can look more closely at some of the scenes from the Bible's accounts of Jesus' resurrection. And today we're going to look at one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, who is better known as Doubting Thomas. And I want to say from the outset that I believe that Thomas has gotten a bad rap over the centuries. And believe me, I know what it means to get a bad rap. I've been married to Fiona for 26 years. And I've enjoyed many, many holiday meals at, the, at her family, in her, in her family home, Christmas dinners, Thanksgiving dinners, even for longer than 26 years. And as recently as one or two Christmas dinners ago, as the many varieties of food were being passed enthusiastically around the table, I gave myself a generous portion of one of the vegetables that was being passed around. It's a vegetable that's been traditionally served in the Dean household probably for generations. And as I gave myself this generous portion, I heard the familiar but false refrain from they who will remain nameless. (laughs) Ken, I thought you hated Brussels sprouts. Why would they say that? The reason for the confusion was that I had never had Brussels sprouts before I went to the dean's home. And the first time it was served, I thought, oh no, I don't like those. But I tried them. And I loved them. I love Brussels sprouts. And yet, I continually get asked, I thought you hated Brussels sprouts. Well, that means Tom and I have at least one thing in common. We both know what it's like to be individually labeled for one highly isolated and exceptional incident. (laughs) But you may be surprised how I'd recommend correcting this historic injustice that has persisted for centuries. Rather than removing this label from Thomas because, because he doesn't seem so bad, my recommendation is that we expand We expand who we apply this label to so that we recognize that all the disciples were doubting disciples. In fact, if one incident is all it takes to be called unbelieving, which is actually what Thomas was called in this passage, not doubting, but unbelieving, let's expand it further to apply to every follower of Christ as a doubting disciple. We're all doubting disciples. We all doubt, including you and I. That would make every believer in Jesus who ever struggled with unbelief an unbelieving believer. Because that's what Jesus called Thomas for one exceptional incident. All of those other disciples should have been included. And approximately 2,000 years later, I should be included. And you should be included. Every last one of you. I like Brussels sprouts. There you go. We all have this in common. So what do you think of that? How many of us have ever struggled with believing God? 
How many of us have ever struggled, had unbelief in our hearts, even after we've accepted Jesus as our Savior? All of us have been unbelieving at times in difficult times. And Thomas simply articulated his unbelief more clearly and more boldly than we may choose to. We may just keep our unbelief in our hearts, which Jesus, by the way, said was just as bad. Sin in our hearts is just as bad as committing it outwardly. So that's kind of a downer, isn't it? You know, to start a sermon that way. But what makes this story of Thomas so remarkable isn't the fact that Thomas was unbelieving. It's remarkable because of how Jesus responded to Thomas. Jesus found Thomas at his absolute lowest and lifted Thomas to the highest declaration of praise that can be found in the gospel accounts. Thomas. That's why I've titled this sermon, God finds us at our lowest and lifts us to his highest. Jesus wasn't put off by Thomas's aggressive unbelief, but rather met him in his unbelief and inspired him to something higher. And then Jesus blessed each one of us so that we might be lifted to places of high praise as we embrace Jesus, despite the fact that we don't have all our questions answered all the time. So let's read the story of Thomas that has caused us to refer to this man as Doubting Thomas. So I'm going to turn to John chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading in verse 19, which will appear on the screen behind me in the English Standard Version. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this blessing that's spoken over us in this passage. 
Though we've never seen you physically, Lord, you've given us a heart to believe you. Those of us here who have been walking with you, Lord, we thank you for the faith you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you'd increase our faith this morning as we look at this passage and see how you ministered to a man who was so stuck in his unbelief and who needed your help. I pray you'd open our hearts to receive your help for all the times we struggle with this as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to emphasize several important points of this story. First, that Thomas was far worse than a doubter. That, secondly, that Jesus made Thomas an example of great faith. And that the same two things are possible for each of us. Let's begin by looking at Thomas when he was at his lowest. It's worth recognizing that where we see Thomas in John chapter 20 is the result of a decline in Thomas. John tells a story. It happened just a few weeks before Jesus arrived in Jerusalem expecting to be soon crucified. It's the story of when Jesus raised a man from the dead, Lazarus. And for whatever reason, the disciples must have felt the tension growing between Jesus and the religious authorities and feeling that tension. For that reason, when Jesus went to Bethany, where Lazarus had died and was buried, Thomas said to the other 11 disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. That was Thomas speaking. He was laying his life on the line. He felt that they would be in danger going to Bethany to, to minister there because the tension was getting so thick. But he was prepared to die. That's courage. And Thomas and the others actually followed through on this, putting themselves at risk in this way. But that was before the disappointment of Jesus' death before the man who they thought was going to save them from these terrible overlords, the Romans, put him on a cross, killed him, killed the one they had put such hope in. How many of us have ever felt our faith drained or diminished by disappointing circumstances? How many of us are facing situations right now that are messy and unresolved and which God seems to have removed himself from or he certainly seems to be leaving things to deteriorate unchecked. It may be regarding a prodigal child. It may be a health issue. It may be your job prospects. This seems to be a universal experience in our world. Trouble in our lives that God seems to be doing nothing about. Resulting in discouragement, nagging fears, and yes, even doubts about God. We're all like Thomas in regards to how we have courage in some situations and then struggle to believe in other situations where trouble causes us to doubt God's goodness. And what such troubles occurred in Thomas's life, which was Jesus' death, 
John described Thomas's reaction as far worse than mere doubt. Thomas reacted with total unbelief when invited to believe that Jesus was alive. But the truth is, all the disciples reacted in total unbelief to the news of Jesus' appearing. Between Luke's and John's gospel accounts, we can see that initially after the resurrection, not one of Jesus' disciples believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Not one. None of them did. Luke tells us that Mary and her companions didn't. Because when they went to the tomb, they went to the tomb wanting to prepare Jesus' body for burial. They brought spices with them. They wanted to prepare the body. They weren't going to find out if he'd risen. Then Luke tells us that Mary and her companions had angels tell them that Jesus had risen from the dead. But then when Mary saw Jesus, she thought he was a gardener and asked where he had put the body of Jesus. Even after angels had spoken to her, she was in unbelief. Then Luke tells us that when Mary and her companions came to tell the 11 disciples that Jesus truly had risen, the Bible says that their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. That's pretty clear. That's the same kind of unbelief Thomas had been expressing. So let's call them all doubters. When the angels told Mary, she didn't believe it. And then when Mary finally did believe and told the 11 disciples, the 11 disciples didn't believe it. And then when the other disciples later saw Jesus, but Thomas didn't, and they told Thomas, Thomas didn't believe it. John knew that he and the other disciples were just as unbelieving as Thomas as they heard the reports of others seeing Jesus. While they locked themselves in a room, fearing for their lives, thinking that they would be dead next. What confidence? They had no confidence. In other words, they were all at their lowest. Their hopes were dashed. Their convictions confused. Not sure what to believe. Not sure what to do. And Thomas, who was the last of them to see Jesus, was likely slipping day by day into greater and greater danger as discouragement and unbelief took hold of his heart. His words, unless this or unless that, I will never believe, should be both sobering and terrifying. Terrifying because we're all capable of reaching that point if we allow unbelief to grow unchecked in our hearts. I believe there's people here or who are listening online who have troubles in their marriages or troubles with wayward children or troubles with employment or troubles with health issues that have left you feeling this way or at least struggling with this. You feel at your lowest or near your lowest. Maybe not every moment, maybe not every day, but certainly struggling on many days just to keep your head up. That's how God finds us some days. And God knows better than we do how serious a state unbelief is. The Bible says, take care, brothers, 
lest there be in any of you an unbelieving, evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's serious. An unbelieving heart is called an evil, unbelieving heart. And it can cause us to fall away from the living God. It can be spiritually fatal if we leave it unchecked in our hearts, able to grow to the point of leaving a person with a lack of confidence in God. For 27 years, my wife Fiona struggled with kidney disease. I've mentioned this before, many of you know, many of you prayed for Fiona during those 27 years. It got worse and worse until her kidneys completely failed, resulting in seven years of daily dialysis and then a kidney transplant, which has been a wonderful success. We're so grateful. But those 27 years, 27 long years, provided me with daily opportunities for unbelief. As I watched Fiona's kidneys deteriorate year after year, despite the many prayers that were being offered up for her. Talk about confusing. When you believe in healing and you believe in prayer, so you keep praying and you think one year, two years, five years, ten years, when are you going to do something, Lord? 27 years of prayer, only getting worse and worse until the very end. Over those years, I must confess, I repeatedly gave in to bouts of deep discouragement. It was as if, like Thomas, I would sometimes want to say to the Lord, unless I see in those test results the sign of God's healing, and unless I hold in my hand the paper that says a clean bill of health, I will not believe. There was that level of unbelief in my heart in those days. I can't lie. There was sometimes, sometimes during those 27 years where I was too discouraged to even pray about it anymore. My prayers just felt too repetitive. Sometimes I found it hard to believe that God even cared. 27 years is a long time. And some of you know that. I had unbelief taking hold in my heart. And the fact is, every person on this planet is born with an inherited spiritual bias to not believe God, to not depend on God, to not trust God. That's our bias. And those of us who've accepted the gift of what Jesus did on the cross... The fact that he died for us to take the punishment for our sins so that we could be forgiven. We too can be vulnerable even though we believe in what Jesus did for us. We can be vulnerable to turning back again to unbelief. To turning back again to self-reliance. When faced with a crisis or a trial that God doesn't seem to be acting on in the way we want him to or at the pace we want him to. Where is God right now? Why isn't he answering? How many prayers do I have to pray? Are my prayers not good enough? Is prayer accomplish anything anyway? How many of you have asked questions like that in your dark times? We're all vulnerable to this. It's a very serious spiritual matter we do not want to ignore. 
In fact, just a few weeks ago, I mean, we're doing great now, health-wise. Fiona's great. I'm, I'm doing great. Our, our health is good, but even a few, a few weeks ago, there's a current situation in my life that I felt myself on the verge of a, a downward spiral even as I was praying about it. Even, even as I prayed, I felt myself spiraling downward. And suddenly, I felt the Lord say to me, I heard God. I know I heard the Lord Suddenly say, and this was, this was before I was preparing for this sermon. This was before I knew I was preaching about Thomas. I suddenly heard the words flash through my mind. In fact, God spoke to me in the New King James Version of the Bible. <laughs> hey, hey, go figure. He said to me, do not be unbelieving, but be believing. It was so clear that it immediately lifted my spirits back up. I knew what I had to do. I repented of my unbelief and I carried on that day in belief, believing God for what I had been praying about. We're all vulnerable to being like Thomas, far worse than just doubters, but to being unbelieving toward God. And many of us know what it's like to be like that father in that gospel story, the man who came to Jesus regarding his son who needed deliverance from a demon. And he said, help me in my unbelief. He knew he had unbelief and he knew he needed help. And I hope we do too. We need God's help. Are you struggling to believe God for any particular situation right now? Do you need help with your unbelief? If you are, like Thomas was, and like I certainly am, let's look at what's possible when Jesus shows up to help us. God lifts us to his highest. The first thing we notice is that Jesus mercifully came to Thomas. He came to Thomas even when he was filled with defiant unbelief defiant unbelief. I will never believe. And yet Jesus came to him when he was in that place. That should encourage any person listening to this message who has struggled to believe God and then wondered if that left them wondering if God wanted anything to do with them, would bother with them at all. I can't be bothered with that unbelieving person. He doesn't even believe in prayer. He's struggling to even believe I care. Why should I bother with that unbelief? But no, that's not what Jesus' response was. He came to Thomas when he was in that state. God not only had time for Thomas in his struggles, but he came to help him with his unbelief. Let's look at what happened. The disciples were still fearfully hiding behind locked doors. This is his second visit to the disciples, so a lot of good the first one did. They're still hiding behind locked doors. And then Jesus suddenly appeared. And after greeting them all, he immediately turned his attention to Thomas. Immediately. Zeroed in on Thomas, as if he were actually complying with Thomas's ultimatum. Put your fingers here and put your hand here, Jesus said. But was Jesus complying? Or was, just, was Jesus simply highlighting the ridiculousness of Thomas's demands while giving Thomas an opportunity to repent? That's what I believe. For what Jesus said next was a clear and direct call for Thomas to change his behavior. Do not disbelieve, 
but believe. Jesus didn't say, hey, wow, wow, you've had a rough go. This has been tough, you know, but it's okay. Like, I could see why you'd be unbelieving. It's okay to be unbelieving at times like this. I get it. No, Jesus didn't say that. He said, stop that. Stop it. And those words and Jesus' obvious presence in his midst inspired Thomas to make the clearest declaration of Jesus' deity found anywhere in the Gospels. Thomas, the one we call Doubting Thomas. Why do we call him Doubting Thomas? Why don't we call him Believing Thomas? Because he makes the clearest declaration of who Jesus is in the Gospels. Why was Thomas so inspired that he could, that he could respond so magnificently? Well, he went from the extreme of a defiant ultimatum to the opposite extreme of the most worshipful declaration recorded in the Gospels. Because, not just because Jesus showed up but because he displayed such intentionality about wanting to help Thomas. He wanted to help him. He, he ministered to him when Thomas would have felt so unworthy. And yet Jesus wanted to help him despite how unworthy Thomas would have felt. Rather than rejecting Thomas, Jesus invited Thomas to repent and to begin again. This time believing. This time believing more than he had ever believed before. God's mercy is that inspiring. We we ought to be inspired, so inspired by God's mercy that it leads us to worship. Jesus' response to Thomas reminds me of another story in the Gospels. You remember that story of the man whose whose daughter was ill and... um, He came to Jesus and he asked him to come to his home. But before Jesus got to his home, the girl died. And as the people came to report to the father that his daughter was dead, don't bother the teacher anymore. Look at Jesus' response. I never cease to be encouraged by the loving simplicity of Jesus' response. After the man heard that his daughter had died, Jesus turned to him and said, Do not fear, only believe. (sighs) Only believe. And then Jesus went and raised her from the dead. Only believe. That is the only option that will bring life to our soul. Even if Jesus doesn't answer every question or make sense of every circumstance, which is God, he's not obligated to do. He encourages us to only believe. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. But what was he asking Thomas to believe? Simply that Jesus not only loved him enough to die for him, but that Jesus was now alive and wanted a relationship with him and was ready to send a previously doubting disciple into all the purposes that God had prepared for him to do. He wasn't disqualified by his unbelief. But he was invited to repent. So that he could fulfill all God's plans for his life. That's it. Are you like Thomas in any area of your life? Any particular area in which you need to hear the simple and loving rebuke 
Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Believe God. Believe his word. Believe his promises. I know many of you in this congregation, and as I, as I see many of you, I, I can think of situations where God would invite you to believe him. If that's true for you, as it certainly is for me, the appropriate response is my Lord and my God. In other words, yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. That declaration affirms that you want Jesus as Lord to be in charge of your life. And you believe that Jesus as God is qualified to be in charge of your life. And when he's in charge of our lives, we experience life abundant, like he promised us. So it's important to realize that these same two things are possible for all of us. The same unbelief as well as the same faith-filled response to Jesus that Thomas demonstrated in this story. And the good news is that the blessing of God is available to make sure we are all more inclined to believe than to doubt. Let's look at the last thing Jesus said to Thomas. He said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That blessing that Jesus pronounces should be read like a promise. Like, like the Beatitudes in the book of Matthew. Blessed are those who... It's like he's saying, you will be blessed if you believe in Jesus without having seen him. That's us. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to everyone, every believer in the world today who has believed in Jesus without having seen him. That promised blessing on those who believe in Jesus without having seen him is what helps us to continue growing in our faith even though we've never seen him. And it's because of that promised blessing that the Apostle Peter could confidently write exactly what Dale read earlier this morning. He, Peter wrote, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Do you think Jesus was thinking back to this time with Thomas as he wrote this? Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do not fear, only believe. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Some call this blind faith. I don't. I'm inclined to call unbelief blind. And the call to faith is the ability to see beyond what our physical eyes can see. Right? John Bloom says that the spiritual reality that God reveals to us by the eyes of faith is in fact more real than anything we can see with our physical eyes. If that's the case, I want to have eyes to see and a heart believes what's spiritually real in all circumstances. And I want to close by highlighting two vital truths 
that tell us how this can be possible in our everyday lives. The first thing is, receive the Holy Spirit of God. The disciples had not received the Holy Spirit at this point. This was before Pentecost, and Jesus knew that they were not going to be able to handle the troubles that were going to be coming their way, the persecution they'd be facing without the Holy Spirit. These disciples did not and could not have hearts to truly believe until they received that Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and whom Jesus had promised would come. Jesus knew this and reminded of them of it and reassured them of it when he breathed on them. Remember we read that part where it says he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit. That, that was like a living parable that he demonstrated the receiving of the Holy Spirit that they would soon receive. Thomas wasn't there for that part but Thomas was there at Pentecost and Jesus made sure he would be. Jesus made sure he didn't miss it. As spiritually new creations we have the God of the Holy Spirit living in us. We are, the, we are recreated by the Spirit of God into new creations. And that Spirit of God is, our, is called in John chapter 14, our helper, the Spirit of truth. And though the one who would teach us all things. That's how the Apostle John described the Holy Spirit. So he invites us to receive the Holy Spirit of God. This word breathed, where Jesus breathed on the disciples, is the same word that is used in Genesis. In Genesis 2 verse 7, that says, God breathed on the first man. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. John is using the same word as though it's an echo now. He's recreating us. We're becoming new creations. And that's because the Holy Spirit is coming upon us. God is breathing on us by his Holy Spirit coming upon us. Now the second thing we need, we need the Holy Spirit. In fact, I just want to add, I've made it a regular part of my prayer time to ask the Lord to fill me with his spirit. And not just to fill me with his spirit, but to fill me with all the, the many things that the spirit provides. He provides us with hope. He provides us with faith. He provides us with trust. He provides us with wisdom. He provides us with boldness and courage. All of those things the Holy Spirit gives us when he indwells in us. And I've, I've, I routinely pray for the Holy Spirit to fill me and to fill me with those things. We need the Holy Spirit. But secondly, we need to spend time in God's word, the Bible. These disciples did not and could not truly have hearts to believe unless the spirit of truth revealed the truth of God to the disciples. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, when he wrote that faith or belief comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ in Romans chapter 10. What, what Paul was talking about there was the spoken word or the word revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. When we, that's when we hear God's truth directly from the Holy Spirit. It's, it's called a rhema word in Greek. Receiving God's truth directly from the Holy Spirit. And when God reveals his truth to us in special ways like that, he reveals his truth in ways that are consistent 
with his written word. Which is, we're told is living and active. And discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And which is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction. And for training in righteousness. This is what the word of God provides for us. Even the apostle John understood at that time that he wrote this book. How important revealed truth is to help us believe. That's why right after the story of Thomas. John wrote These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why I feel it's important as part of our spiritual strategy for growing in faith to ask God to fill us with his spirit every day and to spend time reading and meditating, chewing on, memorizing, journaling regarding God's word. Be ask, ask, ask God to fill us with his spirit and ask God to reveal his truth to us in his word. That, that is how we grow in faith and avoid unbelief. It's only by the Holy Spirit teaching us truth, by this unhurried time in God's word, that we're going to grow in faith. This is why we really encourage, we, we warmly invite people to attend the Hearing God course and even this Empower Ministers retreat that Ron just mentioned that we just had this weekend. We encourage you to take these courses because they help you to grow in the things of the Holy Spirit. They help you to grow in your ability to hear God. And when you hear God, it fills you with, hearing God fills you with faith. Just like that example I had when, when I was spiraling downward in prayer and God said, Hey, do not be unbelieving, but believing. It, it lifted me hearing God speak to me that way. We, we need to grow in that. I've spoken about this before and Bethany very powerfully spoke about this last week. I don't mind repeating it, that if God's word is truly living and active, and if faith comes by hearing the revealed words of Christ, then meditating on and embracing these truths will make the difference in your hearts when you're facing the troubles that want to suck you dry and make you unbelieving. It's true that we can't see the risen Jesus. Not until we're with him in heaven. But he has given us the Holy Spirit. And he has given us his word. Which the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us from. Let's not neglect these things. Let's take full advantage of these things. Let's hunger for these things. Let's ask God to give us a hunger for these things. More of the Spirit of God. More understanding from the Word of God. And if you're having trouble gaining understanding when reading His Word, can I just encourage you some, to do something that I've, I've learned to do increasingly over the years? Read slowly. Read God's Word. So don't rush through it as though it's something to check off. Read slowly. And meditate on what you read. Journal about what you read. Pray about what you read. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what you read. And this will cause our faith to grow. We, we offer these journals 
And I want to encourage you, if you want to buy one of these journals, we call it, it's called a life journal. Because everything I'm speaking about brings life to our souls. And these journals are available for $9. They're available at the welcome cart where the balloons are. You can get one after the service. They're $9 each. And they contain pages and pages of nothing. <laughs> Empty pages. To write down what God is speaking to you about. So you don't forget what God speaks to you when you hear the Holy Spirit as you read his word. But at the very beginning, there's more than nothing. There's a reading plan for reading through the Bible in a year. And you can get on that reading plan, read it at whatever pace you want, and then reflect and write about what God speaks to you about. This is how we can be a people who are truly blessed. Because God, Jesus, blessed those who believe without having seen We're all vulnerable to the same unbelief each of those disciples demonstrated. And yet the story of Thomas shows us that we can find life-changing faith that opens our spiritual eyes to who Jesus truly is so that we can have a relationship with him and find the life and purpose that he wants us to experience without the interference of unbelief in our hearts.